Well, it's, it's great to be with you. My name's Dan. Uh, my surname is Strange, which uh, I always have to give an excuse for these days after the Marvel comic character. Um, my dad actually was from uh, Guyana in South America. And when he came over to the UK in the 60s, he chose the name Strange. Very, He was always very touchy about it, not surprisingly. Um, so, uh, yeah, that's something about my background. I'm married to Ellie. Uh, we've got seven kids. Uh, the older three are... Well, the older three are in London, one's a policeman, uh, and uh, one's a musician, and one's at uni, and then we've moved up to this area uh, in the last six months uh, with the rest of the four kids, mother-in-law and a dog. And a guy that I think has come and spoken here before, Chris Evans, um, we lived three doors down from him, so he's the kind of contact, because he was one of my students, as was Ian. The, the, the talk, I suppose, that Ian asked me to give on, or I said I was going to give, was, uh, um, uh, is there deliverance from disappointment? I suppose the question that I want to start off by asking is, um, is this what you thought it would be like? Well, not the breakfast, although the, the breakfast hasn't been a disappointment. Um, uh, every, you know, Ian said this is the best breakfast that you'll ever have, so there you go. Um, but I suppose just life in general and just things that happen. Um, when I, I, I used to play quite a lot of snooker, played a lot of uni, and for my 40th birthday, my wife got me this one of these experiences where you could spend a day with Jimmy White. And um, yeah, but that's the that's the thing. It was such an anticlimax. There was a group of us who went to see him, and it was obvious that he was just like you know he was just picking up his paycheck. He wasn't that interested, and like we were all thinking that, and he was just, it was fine, it was fine. But it's those kinds of disappointments, isn't it? You um, you're looking forward to a great curry, and actually in the end of the day, the thought of the curry is better than the actual having the curry. Um, and disappointments like that, disappointments where. You plan for things and you expect things, and uh, actually, in reality, uh, they don't turn out that way. And of course, there's a kind of an equation: the, the the more you're expecting something, and the more it lets you down, the bigger the disappointment. Um, I think lots of people in life, if you've lived at all, experience disappointment in in all kinds of ways. Disappointment in ourselves, but really also disappointment in other people. And I just want to talk for a few minutes about how our culture tries to deal with disappointment and then how, as a Christian, I'm a Christian believer, how um, Christians are to deal with disappointment and whether that might be a way of dealing with disappointment that might say, wow, I might want to look at Christianity as a way of dealing with disappointment uh, in, in life. Uh, we know, don't we, that we're living in uh, <laughs> disappointing times, I suppose, uh, the pandemic, so much frustration. You know, even this morning, you know, I was really looking forward to seeing Ian. Haven't seen him since he left college. And he's well, a stone's throw away, but in bed that way. There you go. Uh, all the people who, who wanted to come. Um, or the disappointment of, um, again, you know, I was hearing that you had this speaker come last time who was talking about his experiences in the war. And I'm sure for many, many years since after the war, people were thinking, we're ne we're, surely we're never going to be in that position again. But the stuff we're living through at the moment, history just seems to repeat itself. It's just disappointment after disappointment. So how do we deal with it? Well, two ways I think our culture deals with disappointment, which frankly I think are disappointing ways to deal with disappointment. Um, and the first is this. Um, a few, uh, well, last year, actually, there, there was a, um, a Nigerian novelist. Um, she's called uh, Chimananda Adichie. 
And uh, she'd written something and basically she was trolled on the internet and people said all kinds of horrible things about her for what she'd said. I don't know what she said. Um, but this is what she said. She said, I have spoken to young people who tell me that they are terrified to tweet anything, that they read and reread their tweets because they fear they will be attacked by their own. The assumption of good faith is dead. What matters is not goodness, but the appearance of goodness. We are no longer human beings. We are now angels jostling to out-angel in one another. God help us, it is obscene. So this is where we get this idea that everyone talks about, this idea of cancel culture. Uh, and it's interesting to know where that comes from in terms of disappointment. Um, one writer or one philosopher puts it like this, that um, in um, humanism, the idea that there is no God and humans are all that there is, they thought they were doing humanity a great favour by getting rid of things that Christians talk about. Let's not talk about how bad people are. Let's not talk about sin or any of this stuff. It's so negative. The problem is, is that when you take away that understanding, when you take away the, the understanding of sin or that humans do fall, you set the bar so high for humanity that when invariably humans do disappoint us there's no way of dealing with that problem here's what um, one writer says faced with the immense disappointments of actual human performance and the many ways in which real concrete human beings fall short of and betray their magnificent potential one cannot but experience a growing sense of anger and futility are these people really worthy objects of all these efforts? Perhaps in face of all this uh, stupidity, it would not be a betrayal of human worth if one abandoned them. Or perhaps the best that can be done for them is to force them to shape up. Before the reality of human shortcomings, the love of the human can gradually become invested with contempt, aggression and pride. The action is broken off or worse continues, but now has new feelings and becomes progressively more coercive and inhumane. The tragic irony is that the higher the sense of potential, the more grievously real people fall short and the more severe the turnaround will be, which is inspired by the disappointment. You see, the point he's making is that if you just say that humans are like mini gods, they shouldn't be doing anything wrong or they're angels when life happens and people do disappoint us and they do we've got no way of dealing with it and we just have to force them to try and be better and that makes us angry so there's a kind of an overreach here of hum of uh, humanity um the writer uh, Douglas Murray, some of you may have con uh, come into contact with him if you read things like The Spectator or other things, or well, I don't know what you read, but um, if you've seen him on, on the news, he's a kind of a, um, an atheist, uh, gay journalist. Um, he's written a very good book called The Madness of Crowds. And uh, he talks about the, about the culture that we're living in at the moment. And he says this, we live in a world where actions can have consequences we could never have imagined, where guilt and shame are more at hand than ever, and we have no means whatsoever of redemption. We do not know who could offer it, who could accept it, and whether it is a desirable quality compared to an endless cycle of fiery certainty and denunciation.
poor Douglas Murray thinks that, you know, where does forgiveness come from? We don't have that capacity at the moment to forgive. And I think we're seeing that uh, all over the place. Um, I don't know whether you like your cricket here, but I just remember, remember last year, uh, Ollie Robinson, the England bowler who was suspended for a time. He's in his late 20s, but because of one tweet that he'd sent in his 80, a stupid tweet that he was going to be, you know, people were saying he should never play cricket again because of one thing that he'd said. See, at the moment in, in our culture, it's not just three strikes and you're out. It's one strike and you're out. Um, and I think that's a problem. So I don't think that's a great way to deal with disappointment, that kind of idea that we're just like angels because we can't deal with the fact that people do fail and the only way that we can deal with that is by cancelling them or just getting angry with them. I don't think that's the way. Now, there is another way. Maybe, this, uh, maybe you're a bit like this. And I suppose I'm going to call it um, just resignation. Um, uh, another uh, philosopher, Andy Martin, um, talks about uh, um, in the first century, there were this group of people called the Stoics. And um, uh, imagine that you're this uh, Roman Stoic and your servant comes in and they uh, break your favourite vase on the floor. Now, what does the Stoic say? Says The Stoic says, ah, the vase is not broken. It's only been restored. What do you mean by that? Well, in other words, it's been returned to its pre-vase-like state. Nothing has been lost. The vase was only a temporary anomaly, and so too is all human life, condemned to kind of just falling away. In other words, look, why do we plan for things? Life, it just is. Uh, an invading force comes in a country, a pandemic. We can't say how things ought to be. It's just that life is and that's how the stoics deal with it it's just kind of resignation well there you go what did you expect we're not to expect anything the problem here though with stoicism and i think we see this in our own lives is a dissatisfaction with dissatisfaction in the end we do want to fix things we do think that there is a problem that could be solved in a particular way we want to try and stick that vase back together or make a new one. So in terms of dealing with disappointment, these two ways I don't think are that satisfactory. The kind of way that just says humans are, are perfect and then what do we do when they fail us, which they do, or this idea that, well, you know, it's just life and we shouldn't be expecting too much anyway. Because we do expect things. We do expect better of ourselves and of other people. So is there a way forward between these two views? Well, I think there is. And uh, I think that's a Christian way of viewing the world, which really says something quite different. On the one hand, Christians believe, don't they, that we're made in the image of God. In other words, all human beings have great dignity and great worth. There is a standard that, to which we have been made. We have been made as images of God. Not God, but images of God. And so there's a sense in which every human being has great dignity and worth that we are to recognise. There's a sense of um, justice that's built into us as human beings. So we don't just accept everything that happens. Sometimes we do think, 
hey, that's not right. Something's gone wrong there. But here's the important thing. Although we've been made as images of God, we do recognise as Christians, don't we, that something has gone wrong. We've bitten the hand that feeds us. The, the, the God who created us, we've turned away from him. And that creates a problem. We've, there's a standard that we've fallen from. But unlike that kind of first position where there is no comeback, this is where the understanding of human fallenness is actually a great thing because it gives us a sense of uh, trying to work out what to do about it. Now, you don't have to hear, we've heard some from some philosophers this morning, but here's, uh, she's not a philosopher, but she is the, uh, the queen of our country. This is what the queen said in 2011 in her queen's speech. Although we are capable of great acts of kindness, history teaches us that we sometimes need saving from ourselves, from our recklessness or our greed. God sent into the world a unique person, neither a philosopher or a general, important though they are, but a saviour with the power to forgive. As a Christian, Jesus Christ is the centre of my faith. And uh, I don't know where you stand uh, in terms of your relationship with God or with Christianity, but in terms of our culture, Jesus Christ has been the figure that has shaped our culture. Whether you like it or not, that's the case. Even if you don't like Jesus, he is the, the one factor that has shaped Western culture that we still live in. So you have to reckon with him in some way. Um, and I think as we're coming up to Easter, it tries to explain um, how it is that Jesus, that not only gives us the standard, but Jesus actually says, look, the standard that, uh, that God sets, the standard that I set for my image bearers is higher than you could ever imagine. Jesus says you need to love the Lord your God with all your heart, strength, soul and might and love your neighbour as yourself. And Jesus says, and you can't do that. And we know that. We know that we let people down. We know we let ourselves down. But Jesus is the one who lives that perfect life. And of course, at Easter, we remember the time when Jesus died. He takes that punishment that we deserve. And yet he's risen from the dead because he takes the punishment. So we don't have to. That's what Easter is all about. And Jesus grounded human forgiveness or in the radical forgiveness of God. And here's the important thing, because you think, what's, what's all this Jesus stuff got to do with my life and the way that I relate to other people? Well, uh, I'm sure, I'm sure you do this in, in, in the St. John's. Uh, but when you pray the Lord's Prayer, what do we pray? Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Christians are meant to be people who forgive others because they know that they have been forgiven, that we have been forgiven. That's the pattern. Human forgiveness, the possibility of human forgiveness, the fact that we can forgive people who we know have slipped from the standard, we can be forgiven and we can, uh, so we can forgive uh, others. Here's uh, this guy, Douglas Murray, again. Remember the, the atheist guy? The consensus for Christians was that only God could forgive the ultimate sins. But on a day-to-day -day level, the Christian tradition, among others, also stressed the desirability, if not the necessity, of forgiveness, even to the point of infinite forgiveness. 
I don't know whether uh, what your human relationships are like or what in terms of what your relationship with yourself is like but there is something amazing I'm sure many people will testify in, in this room forgiveness is a wonderful thing to give and to receive um, it's horrible being in a state where uh, forgiveness might not be a possibility either because we just think people are too bad or just we don't care but it is an amazing thing to be forgiven and to be able to forgive others. And I think that's what our culture needs now more than anything. Um, not that we let go of the standards, but that we know that invariably when we do do things that aren't pleasing to each other or to the God who created us, that there is a way back. There is restoration. There is reconciliation. And that's what the Christian faith talks about that's at the center of what we're going to be celebrating at easter uh, in the church next door that's what you'll be doing celebrating that jesus died and has come back from the dead to allow the possibility of forgiveness so we can be a forgiving people jesus says uh, come to me all you who are weary and i will give you rest uh, and so that's the the great good news of christianity that you might want to think about um, faced with all these different ways of dealing with disappointment the Christian faith says, yes, there is going to be disappointment. That's what it is live, like to live in a broken world. But Jesus has overcome death. He's overcome the punishment of the disappointment that we've disappointed God. Uh, and so we can know that forgiveness. Um, and I think that's the good news to tell um, and good news to share um, over the breakfast this morning. So thank you for listening. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, I'm happy to. Uh, I'll go and sit back here, but I'm happy to take any questions. I have a question as well. Dan, what are you, what, what are you doing now? For yeah, so, um, so I was the uh, I was the director of the theological college that Ian came to Oak Hill in London, and um, a few years ago, out of Oak Hill, we started a new kind of in context training for people who wanted to do um, ministry training or theological training learning about the Christian faith, but um, they, didn't have to, they didn't have to uproot and come to London. And so I've now moved over to that. So we're based, well, we're based, our administrative base is in Newcastle, but we're, we're all over the place. And my particular area, it's a kind of, I suppose you'd call it a kind of a think tank or a research centre. So I'm a kind of a theologian by training. That's my writing. So I'm, a, I'm an academic. But um, it's doing stuff like this, talking about the Christian faith, trying to get churches engaged with how we reach out into the community and understand our, our culture. Um, so it's a bit of a startup. At the moment, it's kind of just me, but there's a, there's a group of us. But Crosslands, it's called Crosslands Forum. So we do research and writing. I do, I do, do some teaching in the UK and in the States. Um, uh, but we've got other training uh, things that we do for uh, churches, some modules that people can take and study in small groups, and uh, a seminary track where people are training to be church planters or, or leaders, and they do that over three years in their context. So that's what we're doing now. But our, um, our administrative centre is very close to where, where you're at uni. Uh, you're at Northumbria, aren't you? Um, so Mia House, which is a... a, a chat a group of um it's a big building right in the center it's not particularly pretty uh and i think there's about 18 charities that work out of there so we've got our base there so um we could have moved anywhere we couldn't when we um at oak hill where ian trained um all of the faculty and all of the students live on site so we were we were living in faculty accommodation so when we knew that we were going to be moving 
um, we couldn't have afforded a bedsit really. <laughs> so we could have gone anywhere and uh, we've ended up here. So we, we're enjoying life in the northeast, as I've been saying. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Well, well, thank you very much.